The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, Gary Parrish. It's Thursday, May 5th, 2022. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and Leaky Black, Matt Norlander, is here with me. If you're watching live on YouTube, please smash the like button like you're Brandon David. You have consent when it comes to that like button. You always have consent. There's more of us. All right, Deadleg, you had an interesting story earlier this week about a possible scheduling initiative that could lead to a bunch of interesting non-league matchups each February. It was a seven-minute read. Proud of you. That's a job well done. Seven-minute read. That was awesome. For those who might have missed the story, uh, tell the folks about this idea that's been spearheaded by WAC Commissioner Brian Thornton. All right, so we've got some— By the way, WAC Commissioner sounds like an insult. Yeah, but he is. That's what he is. (laughs) He's He's the WAC Commissioner. He's not a WAC Commissioner. He's the WAC Commissioner. He's the WAC Commissioner. Brian Thornton, who— Spent many a year as a as a college basketball assistant before eventually moving along, actually spending some time with the NCAA, and then he was uh, the associate commissioner in charge of men's hoops in the American Athletic Conference for a couple of years, and then last year he got the WAC commissioner draft. So if you're watching on video, Nada has brought up the story slash column uh, that you can see as we uh, as we talk about it here. So all right, this is. A very exciting idea. I'll lay out what the the concept is. I want GP's thoughts, and we'll talk about if it can actually happen. So Thornton uh, said, going back to 2020, when you know there was all this stuff going on behind the scenes in college sports uh, regarding scheduling and what can be done, and looking to see how the American might be able to be better positioned at that point to get maybe a third, fourth, or fifth team in. He started to think, why couldn't we have a few conferences have an alliance where they play non-conference games? In February, and specifically, you know, put a, a part of the calendar after Valentine's Day and before March where they would play two games, specific here, two games, so it's not one team in a given season having to go on the road while the other team gets the advantage from home. Each team would play a home game and a road game. So then he gets the WAC commissioner job, and this discussion, this topic has been going on for months. There was a meeting at the Final Four with a number of conference commissioners and associate commissioners, and this has been kind of you know batted back and forth for, for a, a, a number of months here to a point where it's reached in advance of the league meetings, which will happen in May and then in June, where conferences can seriously discuss if they want to enter into this. So what would happen is you would have any number of conferences. They tell me that there's at least about a dozen that are seriously considering and wanting to do this. 22 of the 32 conferences have been at least receptive to the idea. None of the major conferences. There are only four that have really said thanks, but no thanks to this point. I don't have those four exactly, but my understanding is the Ivy League and the Patriot League 
would not be there. And I don't have the other two. And then the six big ones, it doesn't benefit those leagues the way it does the smaller leagues. Of course, we can get into that if you'd like. But you'd have these conferences and basically going into the season, not this upcoming season, but the one after that, 23-24 and then 24-25, they would not schedule two non-conference games as they normally would and have those games be played in November or December. Instead, those two open dates would be pushed to either the second to last weekend or the third to last weekend, the anti-penultimate weekend, if you will, in February uh, before we got to postseason play. There would be an algorithm run by Kevin Paga, who runs the KPI. The conferences would agree to this. And basically, once we got to the end of January, once we have played a number of games, we played more than half the season, you would have teams that were close to each other in the metrics. It might be who's closest to each other in the net. It might be some sort of combination of what results-based metrics have said in terms of team strength with a little bit of balance of some predictive metrics. Those details have not necessarily been pinned down yet. But the point of the matter is, Theoretically, if you're Davidson, and I think a conference like the A-10 needs to do this more than any other league, if you're Davidson and you're 57th in the net, you would play the two teams probably closest to you. Maybe you play the 49th team in the net. That's the number one team in the Missouri Valley. Maybe you play the 64th team in this algorithm. And one of those games, Davidson gets to play at home. And one of those games, Davidson gets to play on the road, and you could have as many. I don't think 22 are going to – now, if 22 did this, this would be incredible. But let's just say it's a dozen to start. I think this is such an incredible idea. Now, it's similar to – if you're listening, like, this kind of sounds like Bracket Busters. Yeah, but the deal is Bracket Busters was like 12 games on a Saturday where one team had to play on the road, one team got at home. You know, it rotated year by year, and the idea eventually fizzled out. This is a deal where every single team in all of these conferences, every single one, would get a home and a road game. The ones that matter the most are the 20 to 30 that would feature quad one and quad two teams. And then as you got to the bottom, it would be more about geography. So just as an example, I had people kind of find me and say, okay, what about Maine? Like you're going to make Maine go and play a terrible team like Idaho State? No, specifically the teams that are lower and don't have good records where it's not going to impact their NCAA tournament chances at all, they would play more regionalized games. So Maine might play... Central Connecticut, right? And then the return game might be Maine going against pick a team, you know, Niagara's in the Northeast. You know, it's not a quick trip, but it's, it's still uh, doable overall. So there's plenty to get to with this and whether it can be achieved, whether it will be achieved. But I will say the story's out there because there has been a lot of momentum toward doing it. And I think this kind of thing stands to be such a net positive for the sport if you're the kind of person that gets sick of the eighth place team in a power conference getting in, this is how you remove that to a certain extent. Yes, there is a, the only downside is these teams got to play the games. So if you are a team, let's say you're Belmont in a year where like Belmont hasn't gotten in, right, Parrish? And then you go 0 2 in these games, it's going to kill your at large case, and then what's going to have to happen? You're going to have to win your conference tournament to get in. Guess what? You already have to do that 90% of the time. You already have to do that. I've heard a couple of coaches gripe about this privately, saying, I'm not all in on this because we lose these two games and we got no chance. Dudes, you don't have a chance most of the time. Meantime, the flip of it is, if you can go 2-0 in these games, you go from a position where you're just trying to get into the discussion where if you go 2-0 in a quad one and a quad two game and you're – 
You've got a good record. You're in the top 75 of metrics. You are automatically into the at-large discussion. It is such a positive overall, and this will be a moneymaker. And I can guarantee you on podcasts like this, writing columns, the general coverage of this event, whatever it's going to be called, Parrish, would you not agree that because of the newness of it, the proximity of March, the stakes attached to it, the fact that you could have the A-10 and the American and the Mountain West, hell, you could have Gonzaga going against San Diego State, theoretically, right? These games would get more traction and attention than arguably any other games at the power conference level with the exception of, say, like a top 10, top 15 matchup. There stands to be that much good from it. It's a really exciting concept. I want to hear your thoughts on uh, the viability of it, what you like about it, and if you think there are any, what drawbacks there could be. Well, what's interesting is often when I hear about ideas like this, I I immediately have questions um, because, at least in my mind, there are some obvious holes you know, for instance, when the NCAA announces they're going to move toward name, image, and likeness, but they're not going to allow name, image, and likeness to become a recruiting tool, I like raise my hand and go, okay, that, uh, how are you going to do that? And fast forward to today, it's pretty clear they have no idea how they were going to do that. Usually when I hear these ideas, there are some holes. I didn't really see any holes here. It, it seems well thought out, um, easy to implement, and capable of serving a purpose for specific teams while enhancing the sport in general. Like, I like it. Um, I've seen some people in the comments uh, wondering, you know, why wouldn't the power conferences participate in something like this? Uh, There's some obvious reasons. The the main one being, I think, they don't want to give up uh, scheduling flexibility. They don't want to, they don't want you telling them who they're going to play. They want to decide who they're going to play. A lot of these power conference schools have to have a certain amount of buy games, you know, to create a season ticket package that is profitable. They don't want to give those up. Um, If you're in one of the power five leagues or the Big East, the truth is if you're a capable NCAA tournament team, you have already had plenty of opportunities to prove it. And even if you're on the wrong side of the bubble, going forward, if we're talking about late February, you still got time to prove it if you're capable. You've still got whatever's left on your schedule. And in those leagues, you're going to have some quad one, quad two opportunities. Uh, In fact, in some of those leagues, you're going to have nothing but quad one and quad two opportunities. And then you've got your conference tournament as well. So it's not necessary for the power conference schools um, to build an at-large resume. And agreeing to some sort of initiative like this would force them to give up uh, control of their own non-league schedule. And there is almost nothing, as you know, power conference coaches want to do less than give up control of their non-league schedule. So take those six leagues at the very least and set them aside. They would never be involved in something like this. If they were going to do a scheduling alliance, it would only be against each other, not against uh, schools on the outside of the traditional power structure because all you're doing, and this is why they won't play them in the non-league on a a, um, home-and-home basis for the most part anyway, um, all you're doing is giving them opportunities to remove – somebody from your league or a comparable league um, from the NCAA tournament. So you're just not even going to give them the at-bat. So th- those leagues wouldn't be involved for those reasons and, 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 and others. Um, what I like about it is, I mean, there's a lot of things I like about it, but I thought there was an interesting quote from Brian um, where he told you um, that it cuts down on scheduling eras that are made in the off season. In other words, if you're an A-10 school 
or a West Coast Conference school or a Mountain West school, and you think you're going to have a good team next season. So you're trying to build a non-league schedule that will give you an opportunity to create an at-large resume. You might have all of the data you could possibly have and be as smart about it as you could possibly be. But you schedule this game in July. Do you really know if your opponent is going to be what you anticipate them being by the time late, you know, November or December rolls around? There are teams that underachieve every season um, that don't live up to expectations. And if you were trying to build an at-large resume um, based on your non-league schedule and you schedule that team and then they turn out not to be what you thought they were going to be, well, now that game did you no good whatsoever. Um, This is especially more complicated in the era of name, image, and likeness and one-time transfer waiver. Because teams that look like they might be good in May or June or July, you don't know what they're going to look like in November, December, January. So you eliminate that possibility or at least decrease the possibility for error uh, by just saying, you know what, we got these two spots on our non-league schedule that are going to be filled in late February, one road game, one home game, and they are going to be games. If we're good, they're going to be games against teams that are also good guaranteed because they're not even getting scheduled until late January. So I think uh, that that's just really smart. You know, we're in the Mountain West. We're in the A-10. We've scheduled as aggressively as we could possibly schedule. We've done well against that schedule. But still, you're looking at Jerry Palm. You're looking at Joe Lenardi. You're looking at any other uh, bracket expert, and they've got us on the bubble or even on the wrong side of the bubble. Man, we need games now that can show them um, we're good enough. We need games now that will enhance our quad one column, our quad two column. Well, now you're guaranteed to get them. That's good stuff. I mean, just picture this. We start a season. You go through November, December. You get some interesting non-conference upsets where a couple of these schools in the Mountain West. Go even to the go to the MAC. Go to CUSA. Maybe there's a really good A-Sun team, right? They might pick off a win against a power conference team, however they get it, however the, however it comes, right? And then when we get to late January, let's not even say we get to 22 leagues because, again, even though 22 leagues have been receptive to this, Part of me thinks that there's not going to be 22 that do this. Let's just even say it's 12, even if it's 12, right? We get to the end of January and you know what's coming. There's going to be a schedule release that says three weeks from now, all of these really awesome mid-major plus teams. And even if like, particularly if the WC, like if Gonzaga is involved in this, you could have like Gonzaga versus Houston. Yeah. Yeah. You want, you want the West coast and you want the American. And I think, and I think the mountain West and the A-10 in this, because every year those leagues have like legitimate top 25 teams. And so like last July, and I'm sorry to interrupt. I'll let you get back to it in a second. But like last July, you might not be that interested in making a Houston St. Mary's game. But by January, it's obvious. That's a quad one game for both teams. Let's do it. And oh, by the way, we're also making Memphis Loyola Chicago, Murray State San Francisco, Boise State Davidson, Dayton Colorado State, SMU San Diego State, UAB South Dakota State. And then we're also making UAB Memphis, uh, South Dakota State, Murray State, San Francisco, Davidson, so on exactly. and so forth. It's great. It's huge. Remember the the story that took over that one day last year was San Francisco and Loyola leaning into the scheduling that game in Salt Lake City because 
Omicron hit. Scheduling went out the window for three weeks. And these two coaches, Drew Valentine and Todd Golden, who's now at Florida, were ambitious and determined enough to make it happen. There were 13 roadblocks behind the scenes. But the point is, the coaches wanted to make it happen. A lot of coaches at this level want to make it happen. I think for this idea to get real traction, you need to get the A-10, the Mountain West, the American, and the WCC. Those are the four multi-bid leagues. If the other six are the big six, those are the four reliable multi-bid leagues. Maybe the Missouri Valley gets their conversation for another time. But you get them involved. And again, it's from the top down. As Kevin Paga told me, he's like, two years ago, if this is in place, we probably have Dayton play San Diego State at the end of February. How incredible would that be? Those were projected one seeds, right? And so what will happen in those leagues specifically is you would have teams that are third, four, five, six in the standings have real opportunities to increase their tournament resumes to become viable at large contenders, particularly if they can go 2-0 and because you're going to get the road game you play is probably going to be quad one at minimum quad two. Paga ran the data this past season. If the 22 leagues who are, who are interested right now had participated in this, in this window, and they kind of ran a simulation, there were 83, listen again, 83 combined quad one and quad two games. Quad one was a little north of 30, and then 50-some-odd games in quad two. Those games add up and have real consequence to how the metrics are built. This is such would be such a boon to college basketball's relevance. It would give us something new to talk about. It would have true non-conference matchups. Imagine at the end of January, whenever you want to do this, the whole TV show idea, they didn't, they aren't necessarily planning for that. That was just my own, because why would you not? Like, why would you not build something around this to say, let's see what the schedule is going to be. Let's see where these 195 teams are going to play uh, two and a half, three weeks from now. You do this. It happens after the Super Bowl. Oh, by the way, it happens after the in-season top 16 reveal. What happens? You get like a Gonzaga and a Houston. Gonzaga is a projected one seed. Houston's on the three line. And then seven days later, it's going to be Houston playing at Gonzaga. It would be phenomenal. I think there's a healthy chance we can get there. Here's the good news. I've heard from conference commissioners who are for this. Haven't talked to any ADs about this just yet. Have heard from coaches, I'd say, I don't know, 12 to 15 of them. And I'd say, let's say it's 15. I'd say 10 of the 15 are open to it. Three or four are definitely against it. If the coaches can get out of their own way on this, if they can see the big picture, and you're not going to be in any stronger position, generally speaking, by not doing this. This is going to be a money-making thing that will bring more attention and particularly for the fans, that's the other thing. I, I put this out. Almost nobody thought this wasn't a good idea. It, it, is, it is such a no-brainer. It's just going to take the collective, you know, industry to say, all right, just because we've always played, and even that's a misnomer, conference games throughout February doesn't mean we can't try this new thing. It used to be, and I covered this in a Gonzaga column like two and a half, three weeks ago, GP, it used to be an actual function of the schedule. Go back and look, as I did, at college basketball reference and look at 15 to 20 of the what you consider the biggest programs in the sport. Pick any year in the 90s. Pick any year in the 80s. Click on their schedule and look at what, the, what they were doing in February. With regularity, they would play at least one high-profile, notable, non-conference game in a true home or road environment. This used to be a function because coaches used to believe that since they had the room on the schedule, they wanted to break up the monotony of league play and prepare their teams for March by going outside of league play 
challenging themselves because leagues bloated power conferences went to 20 game schedules a lot of that stuff has kind of shifted away you know well gp you covered the games gonzaga playing memphis that's not even that old and so we're bringing back a little bit of that spirit and in doing so you want to talk about ways to viably improve the product increase college basketball's presence and relevance before we actually flip the calendar to march one this is it, and it's got to start from the top down. I really hope that the Atlantic 10, I got to believe the American Zona, because Thornton was there, the West Coast Conference, and a lot of that will be Gonzaga's influence. If you're Gonzaga, why are you not doing this? There's no reason against it, particularly when the WCC is going to lose strength without BYU, and then you bring in the Mountain West. Doing this, I, I promise you, I know coaches, ADs, people that listen to this podcast, I promise you that the upshot of this is so overall of a positive. There's really no reason to do it also because – the TV networks, generally speaking, because TV gets into this conversation a lot, the games themselves are already slotted out to these schools and non-conference plays, so you would get stuff on CBS Sports Network as you would on ESPN, as you would on FS1. The games will be broadcast all over the place. All the networks would benefit from this, and damn, I hope we get there. The fact that this is out there now, and this is going to get discussed at a at a deep level in the coming weeks here, I really we hope we aren't talking in, in a couple months about how this idea ah, had momentum, but it just... It fell on its face. There's no reason against doing it. The only reason if it doesn't happen is literally because coaches would be too scared to do so. Because I think that commissioners and ADs will be in on this and actually lean into doing it. My concern, if you're if you're somebody who would like to see this idea um, take hold in, in some form, my concern would be, you ask, why would Gonzaga do this? Well, you could ask the same question, just flip it around. Um, you know, what you asked, why wouldn't Gonzaga do this? Well, the, 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 the other question is, why would they, if you're Mark few, would you just say, Hey, we're first off, we're getting one seeds every year. We don't need this. Secondly, um, if we want to make games in February against, uh, great programs, we can do that ourselves. We don't need help. I don't think they can. And oh, right now, like, I think if Gonzaga wanted to, I think if Gonzaga, wanted to do a game like they used to do the Memphis game in late February or middle February. I think they could do that. I mean, Gonzaga is such a big brand at this point. If I'm, if I'm listen, I they're losing two quad one games mentally with BYU going was why I say this, like they're losing that. So I don't think that Gonzaga's grip on this is what it's going to be. Cause again, the WCC is going to be downgraded. So Gonzaga, the idea that Gonzaga is going to be positioned to do this, I just, I think that calculus in that league for that program might be changing a little bit. But maybe, I, I'm here to hear maybe, the argument. maybe. Um, the other thing to, you know, it's not just BYU leaving the West Coast Conference; it's Houston leaving the American. Yes. Um, so, um, and then a program like Memphis, where, you know, they have an eighteen thousand seat arena to sell season tickets to. Do you really want to give up schedule control? Um, you know, if you're Memphis, do you just say, Hey, we can schedule if we want, if we, if we think it's important for us to play a game in February outside of our league, we can do that ourselves. That would be my concern is that a program here or there, I don't really think there's an A-10 program that's got that kind of mm-hmm. power. I don't think there's a mountain West program that's got that kind of power, but Gonzaga in the West coast, Memphis in the American, these are big brands that they can go get games on their own. And I just wonder if they would be hesitant to get involved with something like this. Again, the last thing coaches want to do with their schedules is give up control. And this would be you voluntarily giving yes. up control. So I would wonder if, um, you know, 
because I think this would be fine too. Okay, Memphis doesn't want to be involved in this. Can we get the rest of the American involved in it? Okay, Gonzaga doesn't want to be involved in this. Fine, we understand. We'll just can we get the rest of the West Coast Conference to be involved in this? And maybe you lose a program here or there, um, but ultimately uh, accomplish uh, the, the same thing. Broadly speaking, um, I enjoyed the story. Uh, it was obviously well reported, and I thought the ideas were good. You know, um, I guess the the people who are handling this um, at the tip top right now are you know Brian. Thornton uh, from the WAC, uh, Drew Spira from the WAC, and Michigan State Associate AD Kevin Pauga. Um, you know, all these guys are smart guys. They clearly put a lot of thought and energy and effort into this. Like I said at the top, and I, I can just leave it there, usually when I hear about ideas, I want to raise my hand and ask a bunch of questions. When I read all of the ideas that are already in place, there aren't any obvious holes to me. Can you get the leagues and the programs within the leagues to agree to do this? That's the obvious question. And, you know, I don't have an answer for that, but it seems like a well thought out idea. And, um, you know, I ho hopefully we'll get some version of it. And then last thing before we move on, the reason why the timing, the story details this as well, the timing on this is good. You can't do it for this upcoming season. College basketball has for the season after this one, there's so there's still so many things that can be maneuvered with the schedule. And as Paga told me, the final four actually get scheduled attached to the masters. So it depends on how the calendar breaks. And so every, you know, the next two years in the, in a, in a seven year cycle, college basketball's regular season will actually be one week longer than it normally is because of this. And so the 23, 24 and 24, 25 seasons specifically work as the testing ground for this because you have the flexibility. I think this is actually a major factor that coaches will be like, Oh, Okay, maybe the, maybe we you know if you tell me that we have a little more time to move all this stuff around leagues and be like okay so you're telling us we can move two league games that would be in February put them before Christmas that's actually why this also has a real real chance and then if it works which it will I guarantee you this will be a home run thing I guarantee it it will will some teams go zero and two yeah that'll suck but you know what other teams will go two and zero and I do think we'll have a situation where the tournament the bubble the discussion will be just that much better. But we'll wait and see what happens. It's, a, it's an exciting potential endeavor. If you haven't read the story yet, you can find it cbssports.com. That's cbssports.com. John Calipari made some public comments about name, image, and likeness this week. We're going to get into that next. But first, a word from our sponsors. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. John Calipari made some public comments about name, image, and likeness this week. I, I gather some Kentucky fans are growing 
a little restless uh, because the Wildcats, A, uh, were terrible two years ago. B, were upset by St. Peter's in the first round of the NCAA tournament uh, earlier this year. C, are uh, getting out-recruited by Duke, both in class of 2022 and 23. And D, just lost uh, assistant Jay Lucas uh, to John Shire's Blue Devils. And so I, I guess John felt compelled to address how UK is handling name, image, and likeness opportunities after a staff member, uh, TJ Beisner, tweeted that, quote, Kentucky's program has and continues to be ahead of everyone else. John subsequently added, um, I pushed for NIL for 10 years publicly and no one is more supportive, which is why our players are making more money than anyone the right way. NIL won't hurt us and hasn't for any kid we've really wanted. If NCAA or federal government makes changes, we'll adapt and continue to lead. What'd you make of what John Calipari said? Well, it's notable because this all ties to Baylor Shireman, who's going to Creighton. We'll talk about that angle of it in a second here because GP's got an update to his top 25 and one. Creighton obviously getting bumped up with all of that. Um, it's just notable because Cal is speaking to this. And then Beisner, who's uh, the head of uh, the player development there, actually used to host a, I assume you went on it as well, used to host a TV show in Kentucky. I, I went on, he actually was doing trivia time with me before we might have even been doing it on the on the podcast there. But uh, Beisner's done a, an amazing job for himself there and has really helped that program a lot behind the scenes. And for, it was, I, I appreciated TJ actually tweeting what he did and, and bringing some, I don't know, uh, some uh, transparency, I guess, to what Kentucky's going through. Because right now, Kentucky fans, well, a lot of this just ties to Shireman, and then they got out of the, the deal with all that because the, the deal with Shireman was, yeah, some of it was fit, but there was, you know. I, 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 had, I, I, I had a power conference coach tell me right. that they made a call on Baylor Shireman. Just, hey, like, you know, can we get in here? You know, what, what's it look like? And they were told basically the starting offer this coach told me was more money, you know, disguised as name, image, and likeness rights opportunities. Mm. It was more money than anybody in their current locker room is making, and like not even close. And they just decided we're not get, we're not, we're not getting involved in this. Would be accurate. Would be accurate. Uh, Baylor Shireman, if his NIL deals come to fruition at Creighton, uh, could well be among the more. Uh, highly compensated players uh, next year in college sports, which also, by the way, tied to all this whole thing. Dennis Dodd had a story, a Sports Illustrated story this week. Dennis Dodd had a story at CBSSports.com on Wednesday that said, hold on, let me get this here. Um, okay, this is from Dodd. This ties to what Kyle's talking about, too. Within the coming weeks, the NCAA plans to crack down on boosters who are funding name, image, and likeness payments to athletes. Hold on, I think I got something for that. <laughs> Uh, payments the association says are violations of long-standing NCAA rules. NCAA Councilman Shane Lyons told CBS Sports the association's ruling body is motivated to push back against what is becoming a burgeoning scandal disguised for his pay for playing college athletics. Here's the Lyons quote. He goes, how are they having conversations with athletes? They're boosters. We've never let boosters be involved in the recruiting process. Hold on. Where did it go off to tracks? The collectives are boosters. Yeah, that's right. NIL collectives are a huge deal here. It, it, and it's kind it, of, I mean, these guys, like, what's the famous movie quote? 
You know what the boosters are saying right now? Is what is it? What like, I tweeted out yesterday. I can't believe there's gambling going on in this establishment. Is that what you're referring to? Justin? No, no, no. But um, so it's like, you know, we've we've never let boosters be involved in recruiting. Well, guess what? Uh, you're not in charge now. The the quote is what? I'm the captain now. Oh yeah, look at me. I'm the captain now. That's what the boosters are saying. Yeah. That's where are you? Time. What's the movie? Oh, it's uh, Tom Hanks. Captain is in the title. Yeah, Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Hanks is Captain America. <laughs> I've never actually seen the movie. It's Captain Phillips. It's not bad. It's, it's not ca- bad. Captain Gump. <laughs> I think it was Captain Gump. Captain Phillips is the movie, although Tom Hanks is Captain America. is certainly quite the image there. This whole thing is absurd. Uh, th- th- not, I'm not even going to get off the NIL track or get onto the NIL track again with this, but I, it was, it is a major story in that the NCAA is this week looking into it's, it's due soon to try and redefine how it's going to get NIL under control by outlawing collectives that stands to potentially go to court, get shot down again and, and be another huge L for the NCAA. We'll wait and see on all that stuff, but this is, become the big issue here because when stuff like Nigel Pack happens and you've got the player from uh, Jordan Addison that's going into the transfer portal, if he winds up at USC, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. Uh, what Cal was speaking to was this very issue where he's saying, we're not paying players to come to Kentucky. We're not going to, we're not going to promise a dime if you come here. And one, he's saying this because hello, technically that is the rule. <laughs> No, they will te- well, technically that's the law too. Yes, exactly. So I understand why he's saying that, but it comes at a time where Kentucky fans are, and you touched on this on the pod once or twice in March, uh, specifically, you know, after Kentucky loses to uh, St. Peter's, that fan base has reached a point of frustration with John Calipari that had been building and has has reached, I, I'm not going to say a boiling point. A boiling point would be if we looked up in mid-January and Kentucky wasn't in the NCAA tournament picture. Then it would be a boiling point. It hasn't gotten to that stage. But, uh, yeah, there's real concern over, you know, what other recruits are we bringing in here? How are we keeping up? Why is Cal even saying this when we all know what's actually, I think Kentucky fans are more like, we're Kentucky. We invented cheating. What are <laughs> we doing here? Like, why are you saying this? Like, if you want to believe it, don't say it out loud. We are Kentucky. This is what we've done forever. So why are we going to suddenly start losing in the arms race where Cal, from a public perception, is saying, I'm not concerned. He also did the Cal thing where he covers for it. You're an expert in this where he's like, we haven't lost on anyone that we really, really wanted. wanted. Sure, uh, man. Uh, oh, that's the, same, that's the same thing is Jay Lucas left this for a promotion. Like, <laughs> what, what, what was the promotion? I know. Like, you no, know, he just, you know, like we can call it what it is. He left for Duke. Yes, he he decided he. I mean, he might have got more money, but it's not it's not obviously a promotion. You know, it's not like he went from uh, the third assistant at Kentucky to the associate head coach at Duke. He left a he left a job as an assistant at Kentucky to be an assistant at Duke. Period. We don't we don't we're. It's not common to call that a quote promotion, but to your point, he needed to. That word promotion was so deliberately. Yes. In in that tweet, because he could not bring himself to just acknowledge Jay Lucas just decided he'd rather work for John Shire at Duke than for me at Kentucky. He had to say, yeah, but, you know, because what promotion implies is they were giving him an opportunity 
that I was unwilling to give him. So he took the promotion. And I, I guess technically that might be true, but, you know, more than anything, Jay just decided he'd rather work at Duke um, than work at Kentucky, which is which is fine. It, it, yeah, that's like, fine. It's, it's adding to the consternation here because Lucas is, is – Oh, sure. Is, he, is, he, is, I mean, he was at Texas, then he went to Kentucky, and now he's going to Duke where Duke is just killing it on the recruiting trail. I mean, John Shire is recruiting at a level that like that K at his best basically uh, couldn't even imagine. In fact, I think statistically, if you look at it right now, Duke's back-to-back classes are the best two uh, by aggregate. I think that they've ever had there. So it's just, it's just absurd. So this is adding, it's, it can, it's well, Kentucky, right? The two on, most- on that what? point, like if you yes. look at the class of 2022 player rankings right now, um, Duke has the number one, number two, and number three players in the class, according to 24-7 sports. I mean, that's 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 wild. That's outrageous. So, um, yeah, no, that's – that's that's. I mean, come on now. So that's just adding to what Kentucky fans are talking about here. You you don't get Shireman, which isn't the end of the world, but, you know, he's a really good shooter, a really good player, and Kentucky would have would have, would it have been better if Shireman was on the roster? Of course. Uh, but they didn't get him, and then they lose Lucas to Duke, and that's a significant deal here. And so uh, Cal knows that the fan base is – it's weird. Like they're they're a little bit on edge, and at the same time, oh, by the way, you've got the best player returning in the sport. <laughs> That's the and other thing. They're pre- they're preseason top five team. It never happens. You almost never have the reigning national player of the year come back to college. Kentucky will have that. Kentucky will be fine. Parrish, where are they ranked right now in your rankings? Yeah, I have them fifth. I mean, that's the other thing. Like all like Kentucky fans are all in a you know, and whatever. I don't. I'm I'm out of the business of telling fans how to feel. But they do have a preseason top five team with the preseason national player of the year and reigning national player of the year on the roster. And they're bringing in a, a not Duke's class, but a good class highlighted by Kaysom Wallace, who is obviously terrific. Kentucky's going to be very, very good, or at least they should be. If they're not, that's when John Calipari is going to have real problems. The real problems aren't losing Keon Brooks to the transfer portal or Jay Lucas to Duke or whatever. The real problem will be if this team does not, A, perform terrifically during the season and B, advance in that bracket pretty deep that's when everything will be taken up to another level but um i I don't think there's any doubt on some level that you know john is of is aware of the restlessness within the fan base because um well because (laughs) they let him know on social media every single day and i'm certain he would say i don't see any of that but i'm certain i don't know that i would believe it yeah, and listen, uh, fan base going to fan base. I get all that. It makes for some intrigue. I just, I, I uh, TJ's little tweet thread, uh, you know, back on Tuesday t- did stand out to me. Um, and Kentucky's not going to be hurting for talent. That's just never going to happen, particularly in the NIL era. It's not going to happen. I think we just hit this weird phase here where they lose a really good assistant. They don't get a player that by some is considered, you know, one of the five best on the transfer market. Wasn't even in, you know, his top five. Wasn't even in consideration to go to Kentucky. And because of that and then everything that happened last year, like, whatever, I get it. So instead, Shireman goes to Creighton, which caused you to realign your top 25 and one yet again. Number one, where do you have uh, the Creighton Blue Jays now? Where did you have them before and where do you have them now? Number That's question one. And then question two is this. You know, I got to bring up this Ken Palm tweet here. I love me some preseason rankings, but the lack of diversity in them is kind of astounding. In an era of increased player movement, there should be more variation in opinion, and yet here we are. Calling out the group thing. 
which isn't calling out any one particular person, but as the man who might even set the tone for all other preseason rankings that follow, do you feel some level of guilt over the fact that maybe your rankings might be informing others and therefore creating uh, a little bit of lack of diversity, as Pomeroy is calling it? I feel no guilt whatsoever. Okay. I am capable of feeling guilt. I have done so in my life, but never about college basketball rankings in, in the month of May. Um, I will say um, it was interesting that he, and I, I get his larger point, um, and there's no question, it, just like mock drafts, preseason rankings, yes, um, they do get to become a little bit of groupthink because – I must, this, this is just what happens. Um, let's say there's a team that you don't have ranked, but you look up and Gary Parrish has got them eighth and Jeff Porzello has them 11th and John Rothstein has them 10th. You go, well, I got to rank that team now. I mean, all these other guys have them in the top 11. So how can I not have them ranked? And so that person will then put that team in the rankings. And that, that, that's just a real thing that happens. I'm just telling you. Same thing with mock drafts. There's not there's not somebody I have I would have in my first round, but Jonathan Gavoni's got him going twelfth, and um, Kyle Boone's got him going fifteenth. Well, I gotta get him at least in the you know high twenties, or else I'm just gonna look like an idiot. So yeah, groupthink is a is a real thing. I will say that with Creighton I don't know that it is really. I mean I've got quite you know John Rostin's got Creighton 2. I've got him 10. I moved him up from That's like good. I moved That's good. Yeah. I moved him up from 15 to 10, maybe 14 to 10, four or five spots um in the most uh, recent version. Um and like I'm not saying 2 is wrong or 5 is wrong. Rostin's got him 2, Borzello's got him 5, I've got him 10. Um but you know this is a team that they lost one way to say it is they're bringing back five of their top seven. The other way to say it is they're losing two of their top three scores, right? They lose Ryan Hawkins. They lose Alex O'Connell. Bring back everybody else who matters beyond those two. They just had Baylor Shireman, uh, who is uh, going to transition from being a jackrabbit to a Blue Jay. So it's a good team that advanced to the round of 32 of the NCAA tournament that played Kansas pretty tough, um, even though they were um, depleted a bit by injuries. And they bring back five of their top seven. They add Baylor Shireman. They also finished 50th at Ken Palm. Exactly. I think Ken Palm's tweet is like him tipping his hand because he's got his rankings right now. I, I would venture to say that when we see those rankings get released at like late, late October, Creighton won't even be in the top 30. I think that's what he's kind of getting at. Yeah, and he might be right. Um, that's why I was hesitant to go, if I'm being completely transparent, before I even looked at what I was going to do with Creighton, Rostin had already had them up to number two. And I was like, I don't know if I, I can't go that high with it. I just, you know, and so I started looking at it and I was really picking between Creighton and Michigan, 10 and 11. And I went Creighton 10, Michigan 11. But honestly, if I saw Creighton as low as 20th in somebody else's rankings, like it wouldn't make me blink. You know, this is a interesting roster with a great coach. Um, but it's not like they were really good last season. You know, they were, they finished 50th at Kimpom and lost 12 times. And so you're asking largely the same group of guys, plus Baylor Shireman, to take a significant jump next season. Now they might, um, but 
That is what you're asking them to do. I, I thought the Creighton conversation was an interesting conversation because um, though there is a lot of group think when it comes to these rankings, um, there is a, a pretty, uh, 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 there, there's some disparity between how some of us are ranking Creighton um, in its current form. Creighton did get a nine seed, uh, and it did play Kansas competitively. So there, are, there, there's a case to be made. You've got them ten. Uh, I don't know where I'll put them in my idiotic master ranking, um, but uh, I would have to believe that I'm going to have Creighton in the top twenty. I think there's just too much returning, and I, I like Nembard a lot. So, yeah, uh, it's just a, it's an intriguing one there. So you've got them, you've got them bumped up with Baylor Shireman. Who, uh, who adds to the list, he is among the best committed transfers along the likes of, say, Kendrick Davis to Memphis, Fardos Amac to Texas Tech, uh, Johnny uh, Janai Broom went to Auburn, uh, Audrey Cabello went to St. John's, Dawson Garcia to Minnesota, you know, guys like that. Terrence Shannon Jr. went to Illinois. A um, couple quickies here. Well, well on that Michigan real quick, more? on Creighton, because I was talking to a coach and he made this point, which I thought was just sort of interesting, and I don't think it's something we've specifically talked about before. Um it's possible Baylor Shireman just really loves Omaha. Big County Crows fan. They Go were ahead. the favorite from the start. Just you know, so we're right. We're but it's also clear to everybody in the industry that this is tied at least some way to name, image, and likeness opportunities. And what this one coach told me is keep an eye on the schools that don't have football because their boosters are not trying to that money's not getting split between football and basketball. Like at Miami, you've got John Ruiz, who's like just, he's got, he's a billionaire. He's, he's willing to spend $2 million on name, image, and likeness. He can throw money at football, basketball, anything he wants. And by the way, in Dodd's story, he basically dared the NCAA to try to get in his way. He basically said, I'm, you know, yeah, like, like, this is whose lawyer are you going to trust? The billionaire <laughs> or the NCAA? Whose lawyer are you going to trust? Which legal team? That's right. Well, he's like, listen, we, we are within the law and that's all we've got to be in. We're within the law. You start telling me I can't do what I'm doing. That's when I take you back to court and you'll lose. So like, and oh, I thought this was interesting in Dodd's story. He's got these people who are like, we've got to do something. We're going to do something. This has gotten out of control. And then new paragraph Ruiz said, nobody has contacted him from the end of that. They're not messing around with that guy. They're just, not, they're just not going to. How about the fact that Lyons is on this committee? He's the West Virginia AD, and there's an NIL collective at West yeah. Virginia. Yeah, so get out of my face. Like, I, I, I hope the NCAA tries to crack down on boosters, especially billionaire boosters like John Ruiz. <laughs> I like, hope they do. I mean, it's just hilarious that we uh, – I'm, I'm going to shut up. It's just – it's amazing the quotes that I'm reading this week coming yeah. out of this as if, like, no one saw this coming and that they actually think they can stop it. Whatever. Keep going. Yeah. Everybody saw this coming with a brain and there is no way to stop it now. Maybe there will be someday if you get congressional help, but there is no way to stop it now. And if you try to t John Ruiz has become the face of this. And if you try to stop that guy, he will take you to court and he will win. He'll beat your brains in. <laughs> and uh, I please, God, NCAA, try to crack down on specifically John Ruiz. Try to crack down. This guy didn't become a billionaire by being a dummy. He knows what he's doing. And um, I'm confident he sincerely believes he is within the law and um, he will take you to court the second you try to stop him from doing what he's trying to do. Um, but back to Creighton, mm -hmm. this coach said, keep an eye on schools like that, because these are schools that have 
um, in incredible fan bases, financially committed fan bases, and they don't have football to worry about. So you can just um, you can focus all of that attention and all of those resources on basketball and really get things done. And on some level, that is what happened here. Now, uh, back to the Kentucky situation real quick. Kentucky is always going – like the idea that anybody would be concerned that A, the University of Kentucky, and B, John Calipari don't know how to maximize name, image, and likeness is like silly. Like John Calipari is one of the most forward-thinking, big-thinking people to ever work in college athletics. The idea that, you know, when Jay Wright retired and had his press conference, Jay said, I'm not a savant when it comes to name, image, and likeness. Because he was asked, mm-hmm. you know, did this all of this play a role? And he said, yeah, some role. You know, it wasn't the main thing, but, like, it played a role. And, um, it, it, but he said, I wasn't a savant in this. And, I, and, and furthermore, I didn't want to be one. You know, maybe this was just a good time for me. I, I think John Calipari is a savant in this. Like, I, I think John Calipari has understood how to work in these spaces for decades. And the idea that that guy would get left behind because of the changes in the sport, I just don't believe that for a second. I know Duke is out recruiting them, and I know Duke just took an assistant, but I would assume Kentucky will get stronger in the name, image, and likeness space as opposed opposed to weaker in the name, image, and likeness space. And that's why, again, I'm out of the business of telling fans how to feel, but me personally, I'm unconcerned about the trajectory of the Kentucky basketball program. If it went the other way, that would be damn interesting and obviously something that we will talk about and cover plenty, but uh, I'm with you. Okay, with that being said, on your specific note with um, Creighton and non-football schools, I'll know a couple notes to wrap the pod. One, this just cost Wichita State Athletic Director Dan Boatwright his job. He's been he's out. He's been fired. And part of that was because Wichita State did not have an NIL collective going. And it led to like eight players going to the transfer portal. One or two of them have have pivoted back because hello, <laughs> Wichita State got an NIL collective get you know turned around and, and built. But anyway, it cost Boatwright his job. Um, three transfers I'll note that have uh, either committed or you know. Reinforce their commitment. Gabe Kalshier is going to go back to Iowa State. That's a big one for T.J. Altsberger's program. I actually think he could be uh, one of the better players in the pack in the Pac-12 in the Big 12 next season. Uh, Isaac Likely left Oklahoma State. He's going to play at Ohio State. He could be a top 20 defender in the country. So that's a big one. And then Manny Bates going to Butler from NC State could be a sneaky like look up in January, and he winds up being like, man, look at the guys who transferred. Bates could be like a top five to ten guy of actual impact there. Um, there's that. And then last thing, I got the leaky shirt on. It's nice. Shouts to Breaking T. I have one for now. Here's the deal. I have one for you. Hmm. This is a large. I have I have a medium for you, my little friend. Would mm-hmm. you like? Would you like? Uh, would you like a leaky shirt? Because I can either give it to you, or like an episode next week, I can do a trivia time and I can have it for the listeners. But if you want dibs on it, I have a shirt for you. Well, if you thank you. If you want the shirt, just say you want the shirt. I mean, I would like a leaky black right, shirt. Yes, but but I, I could also just buy one myself. You know, uh, that's also that's also true. That's also true. But shouts to that shouts to breaking tea. This actually is a cool shirt. Uh, Scoop, there's another leaky black shirt that apparently will be coming out soon. So they're two leaky black shirts. Um, uh, appreciate that. Okay. Other North Carolina news and notes. Hmm. I saw this from Ross Martin, who covers it for Inside Carolina. Armando Baycott, right now on the set 
of Outer Banks, which is a <laughs> popular Netflix show. So first of all, this is NIL at work because it used to be that if you wanted to do that, you were not allowed to do this. Five years, two years ago, Armando Baycott couldn't go receive a paycheck for being having a cameo in Outer Banks. Now he can like stuff. Like, this is the exact thing we're talking about. I, you know, whether he's making a thousand bucks or twenty thousand, I don't care. Let him go get his money. He's going to be on the next season of Outer Banks. I have not. Have you seen? Have you seen the Outer Banks, GP? I've not watched Outer Banks. Okay, I have not watched it either. But from what I understand, it is a bit of a guilty pleasure show. Mm. I don't know if I'm ever going to get into it. But with that in mind, Mm. just to wrap it up on a light note, what is your? And I'll let you think. I'll give my answer. Can maybe get it from Nada too. What is like? What is your number one all-time guilty pleasure? TV show. All right, I think these are my these are my top three. I think. All right. Mm-hmm. Thinking about this, I don't think how I'm is a guilty pleasure has to be. It's critically not a favorite. It's not considered in the culture to be something that really provides a ton of artistic value or intellectual stimulation. Right. It's just kind of like a you know it's kind of a little bit it's empty calories. Maybe it's, it's a little disposable. Maybe it's got a little bit of vanity to it. Right. So with that in mind, I don't think How I Met Your Mother qualifies, although I will say I find that to be among the more rewatchable sitcoms of the 2000s and the 2010s. My top three, I think, are I'm going to go with the deep cut for you. Californication. You ever see that one on Showtime? I love that. Love that show. Great show. Great, great. If you have not seen Californication, it's not the most consistent show. David Duchovny. Awesome show. Awesome show. I I haven't thought about that show in years. I I love Californication. Number two, I I don't know if it technically meets my qualifications for guilty pleasure, but I think it does because I think um, you wouldn't necessarily associate it with uh, um, you wouldn't think maybe like a sports writer man would watch it. But Downton Abbey, I was in on Downton Abbey. Not You're a not show. I didn't yeah, watch it. Guilty no. pleasure. Downton, Downton Abbey. I was in on it. Good stuff. Wife and I was a, that was a big time. Me and the wife got to get in on it. My number one all time guilty pleasure show. And if you're watching that, please provide yours in the chat. And then Nada, I want yours. My number one all-time guilty pleasure show is, in fact, and I think this might be the one all-time one seed. The OC. Never watched it. The OC. <laughs> gotta. Yep. OC's gotta be it, man. OC, big time. Nada, what do you got? All right, I got two. Um First one, Designing Women, old school show. Whoa, that is a pull. <laughs> deep cut, deep cut there. And then the other one, Dawson's Creek. The, the, which is basically the Outer Banks of 25 years ago. Basically, yes. I was a humongous Katie Holmes guy, undeniably. Didn't, didn't, watch, didn't watch Dawson's much, but if I was ever stopping in, yeah. What was, her, what was, uh, what was it, Joey Potter, right? Joey Potter it, and and um, Pacey Witter is the worst character alive. There we go. All right, so Californication, I would not have thought of that on my own, but if that was not, I don't even know if it was critically acclaimed. I guess it I wasn't. Don't, I feel like it was maybe hit or miss. Great show. Though. Yeah, but um, but I I enjoyed it. It was a great show, fun show. Um, you got something in here. You are the TV king of this podcast. Yeah. Okay. So like, if you want me to go old, like I used to just watch. Uh, episodes of this all the time. I just enjoyed it. And I'd, Coach, do you remember Coach? Coach. Craig, Craig T. Nelson? Coach would qualify because I think my deep cut designing women coach was uh, was Wings. But I don't know if that would qualify as a guilty pleasure. But Wings, I can, I can go with it. There we go. Coach is a good one. I, I never got into it, though. Craig Some, T. Nelson. 
it was Craig T. Nelson, right? Yes, yes. That's just a that's such a throwback there. Um, something newer, because as I'm watching it, it doesn't feel like it's very good. Like it seems so outrageous. Can I guess what you're about to say? Okay. Because I feel like there's another show in this realm that I have not seen yet that falls into this. Are you about to say Cobra Kai? No, I actually enjoy that, and I think yeah, it's. I, I think that it's, maybe is in the same genre, though. Yeah. Now I haven't watched the most recent. I'm so stressed. Like I'm seriously stressed out about TV right now. I am so behind on everything. The only thing I'm up to date on is Winning Time. I'm up to date on Winning Time, which is terrific. I'm behind on Better Call Saul. I'm behind on Atlanta. I haven't watched the new season of Cobra Kai. I haven't watched the new season of Ozark. Like, I've, I need to take a vacation and just watch TV so I can get caught. Like, it really stresses me out when I'm this behind on this many things that that I want to watch and will watch eventually. Um, and so I got I to gotta, I gotta snap back into action. Um, a newer one that when I'm watching it, it's, I, it doesn't feel like it's very good. It seems outrageous, but I enjoy it. You. Have you watched you on Netflix? I have not. No. Like it's very watchable, but it's, it's all, it's obviously outrageous. Okay. Um, maybe a guilty pleasure. There we go. That's all I want. I I think that could be a guilty pleasure. Um, I don't count like your keeping up with the Kardashian. I'm not counting like reality TV. I'm talking like actually like scripted, you know, I know you can make the joke reality TV script, but like, you know, there's a difference between reality TV and the, what we're talking about here. So, right. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones that are just like, like what about the first few seasons of 24? I don't think those were, yes. criti- were those critically. You know yeah, I think, no, it well, not doesn't count. 24 won Emmys. Did it? But I went back. I I, had, I never watched 24 in real time, but I wa- you want to talk about one of the most bingeable shows in history. Yes. I watched like the first four or five seasons, like four years ago. I think they were on Prime. And I tore through 24 episodes of that in like four nights. So you're right, but it was like they won. A, they won emmy award so i'm not sure if that's technically a guilty pleasure or not maybe it got to that point once the quality really started to dip and fall off uh, what Kiefer sutherland, sutherland does it's it's outrageous like some of that stuff is it's <laughs> ridiculous it's ridiculous some of what happens in that show but yeah i might uh i might give you the pass there that might that might qualify yes i'm glad you said californication oh such a good show i might do rewatch My wife and i celebrated our uh nine-year anniversary wedding anniversary yesterday and we uh we could have watched a new show we're still behind on billions but instead behind on billions too we made we made brownies and we tore through four episodes of season one of arrested development so why not it was an awesome little uh anniversary night so rewatchable we 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 rewatch arrested development once every like four or five years so we're going through that now arrested development is hilarious amazing just so good you know my wife and i one night just like kids were bad we were just sort of hey what do you want to turn on and we started rewatching The Office, which I've never, I don't rewatch shows, but we started rewatching The Office and we're, we're dying. It was so funny. I just like, I, re- I love The Office in real time. 
but going back to those. And I know people go back to them because it's like the most watched stream thing. I'm, I'm all right on it. Like a Friends would be another guilty pleasure, but Friends to me genuinely has aged terribly, and I just don't think it's that good of a show. Office has aged at least a little bit better. But I'm, yeah. not, I'm, not, I'm not there with The Office like a lot of other people. Somebody asked, does Entourage count? It does. Like, that is a classic. Shout out to Jeff Borzello. He might be the king of Entourage. Um, it does count. I never got into the show. I liked Entourage. Like, you know, Entourage was another one was I, I knew it wasn't. Uh, the highest quality of anything, but it was fun to watch. Yes. You know, it was a party. It was a party. Um, sex in the city. That would count. Not yeah. into it. That my, my wife would go with that though. She was a sex in the city fan. I didn't watch the new series that was on HBO max, I guess, um, where my dude died on a Peloton in the, yeah. at the very beginning. I haven't watched that. I don't know that I ever will, but like when sex in the city was a Sunday night thing on HBO, wife and I watched that and always enjoyed it. You know, I, yeah. yeah, it's fine. Got Seinfeld. Seinfeld doesn't count. Wait, like one of the most important sitcoms in history. Not a guilty pleasure. It's got to be something where like you're not looking to inject it into conversation like you're proud to, to watch it. Media, you're not proud to consume. So there you go. The OC, man. I dare you to go watch that. <laughs> go watch that. I don't even know what it's streaming on right now. It's straight out of 03. But yeah, that's my, my number one guilty pleasure. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Huck and Larnell. Thank you guys for listening once again to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Middle, dumbest, pandemic, my lifetime. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe. Anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify at Apple, we need nice words, nice reviews. There's more of us than there are of them. Did you see the Lincoln Project yesterday? People were tagging us in this. Did you see this? Because I think they've, I've referenced this like slightly to you before. I think they've done this. I think that phrase might, I think it happened with them before it happened with us. That's no, I invented that. All right. <laughs> I invented that. I know. But the Lincoln Project, because you might have heard some big developments with the Supreme Court. Did you hear about that? I did. So Lincoln Project had a Instagram post that said there's more of us than there are of them. <laughs> I don't know if we really, I mean... So what do you think about the possibility of Roe versus Wade being overturned, Deadleg, before we get out of here? Yeah, not a fan whatsoever. <laughs> not a fan. What a wild situation. I do think there's a chance, and then we'll get out. I, I think there's a real chance we might have people walking around screaming there's more of us than there are of them, and they're not going to be listeners to this podcast. We might, we might have worlds colliding. That's all I'm saying. There's more of us than there are of them. Type it in the Apple reviews and we will talk to you again Monday morning. Till then, take care. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.